Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. Before we get into the show, I'd like to remind you that the inaugural Landscape Photography World Awards is now open for entries. Early bird entry is available now at a discounted fee until September 30, 2022. Head to landscapephotographyworldawards.com to find out all the details and how to enter. There's some amazing prizes to be won and I'll be publishing a book and a calendar with the top images from the competition, so there's plenty to look forward to. Entries close on November 30, so there's plenty of time to get your entry sorted, but don't leave it until the last minute. I'd also like to thank the judges who have agreed to work with me and be a big part of the awards. Deb Clark, Victoria Hark, Kieran Stone and William Patino. I certainly couldn't make this competition a reality without their support. Anyway, on with the show. This time I'll be talking to Greg Witten. Greg is an award-winning landscape and adventure and travel photographer, specialising in outdoor and mountain imagery from across the UK and beyond. In 2015, he was awarded the Light of the Land category win and the overall win to become Outdoor Photographer of the Year 2014. In 2016, he won the Live the Adventure category of the same competition. In 2015, Greg released his first quality photo book through Triple Kite Publishing entitled Mountainscape. Greg has lengthy experience in organising workshops and photo walks in the UK throughout the year. His general style is relaxed with an emphasis on ensuring clients enjoy their day as far as possible, experiencing the outdoors as much as improving their photographic technique in challenging environments. As a long-time and very experienced hill walker, Greg has, over many years, organised and led groups of upwards of 40 people on long-day walks, multi-day and week-long holidays. We talk about his early history with photography, how a recent accident has changed his life and philosophy, the future of photography and the challenges facing photographers and a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi Greg, welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? I'm not too bad. Thanks for having me, Grant. Uh, Absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. Let's start with uh, who you are and why you do what you do. (laughs) Um, Okay, Uh, well, I'm Greg Whitten. I'm a um, landscape photographer uh, from the UK. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, I am what, what, what it says on the tin, basically. I, I, shoot, uh, I shoot landscapes. <laughs> uh, more as a, I, you could say it's at the moment, it's uh, as a living, but um, uh, more on a sort of semi-professional basis as opposed to professional. So how did, how did you get started? And how did you get started with photography in general? But land, what, what drew you to landscapes? Uh, okay, how much time have you got? <laughs> We've got um, all the time in the world. <laughs> as long as I've got space um, on my hard disk, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I guess I came to it like probably a lot of um, hobby hobbyist photographers. Um, I mean, I, I probably had my first camera um, probably when I was around 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um which was a Kodak uh, 110 format um, uh, camera. So, you know, I, I enjoyed taking photos as a, as a child. Um, and then in my uh, early 20s, I got into 
I got myself a, um, a film SLR camera, uh, which I enjoyed, but I wasn't really, um, I, I was still taking snaps. I call them snaps. Um, I wasn't doing any processing of the film or anything like that. Um, it was just take it to the camera shop, get the film developed, see what came out the other end. Um, and, uh, and, and that probably went on for a couple of years. Um, and, uh, and then I lost complete, completely lost interest in it uh, shortly thereafter. And we're probably talking around the end of the 90s um, there. And uh, just through circumstance, um, in the uh, mid noughties I started getting into uh, hill walking with um, a bunch of friends. Uh, I was going to Snowdonia and the Lake District uh, a lot. Um, I joined a walking group. I was walking in the Peak District every weekend, um, and I just enjoyed the I just enjoyed the landscape and taking mm -hmm. photos. And uh, you know, I just had a little digital a digital uh, compact camera, um, and I started playing around with uh, Picasa. If you remember yep. Picasa. Um, which wasn't a particularly great uh, editing um, tool, but it, you know, it, it served a purpose. So I, I, I would say I did some um, very artistic processing um, with that, um, but, it, but it piqued an interest. And um, towards, towards the end of around 2009, um, a friend in the walking group uh, was heavily into photography. He still is, um, and he, he's one of these guys who would, um, you know, get up at uh, three a.m. because he'd seen the forecast yeah. um, for a great sunrise and offered it across the country to be on top of the mountain for sunrise, um, and then phone in sick um, when he was at the top, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, he he was selling his, he was upgrading his camera. Um, he had a, a Canon forty D. And he offered it to me for next to nothing, really. Um, uh, so, uh, so I bought that off him, and and the rest is kind of history. There, that's you know, that was the first sort of serious piece of um, uh, kit. And digital processing was um, becoming easier mm -hmm. um, from the point of view of accessibility. Yeah. Um, uh, the tools were quite powerful. You didn't need a exceptionally um, you know, powerful computer or anything. Um, and I just got into it, got into it through that, which is about the right same time as Lightroom dropped as well. So I started to um, really get into my processing with Lightroom um, and it just developed, it just developed from there. And then the hill walking effectively gave way to um, walking with the purpose of taking photographs as opposed to just enjoying the outdoors. Um, but yeah, that's that's why the focus, I guess, uh, on the landscape. I was enjoying taking photos to um, show people, loved ones, whoever wanted to see them. You know, some some of the places that I was going, um, and some of the things that I was seeing. Cool. So, how did that sort of transpire that it then started to become semi-professional, or you know, in any way professional? Um, I, you know, I'd say that for a good for a good five years um i was just getting more and more involved um with photography and with the photography community in the uk that was really 
active on Twitter at the time. So there was a lot of sharing of images. There was a lot of um, discussions. Um, it was actually quite a rich time for um, uh, photography in the UK, I think, you know, landscape photography I'm talking about. Um, uh, in terms of social media and the impact of social media. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that over that period of time, that five years, my photography came on leaps and bounds just through just through sharing and um, critiquing and making friends and uh, meeting up with people to go on shoots and things like that. Um, and then, you know, I think as a, as a hobbyist, you always heart well, most people would harbor a desire to somehow earn something from their pastime um, on on the side. Um, So, you know, that there's the, there's the whole thing around, you know, entering competitions um, and uh, you, you see people offering workshops and then you see people offering work, you know, you, you develop to a point where, you know, you see people offering workshops who, who, whose photography, you know, um, matches yours effectively, or in some cases, you know, you, you, you consider that um, you're able to create better images or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, those types of things start entering your mind of, oh, you know, quite, uh, I could potentially start offering workshops, etc. Um, and, and at around that time um, is when I, I also decided that I would go on a, a workshop with Alex now, yep. um, uh, who is a very well-known um, photographer here in the UK. Um, and he was going to Iceland and I kind of found, I'd seen a lot of images from Iceland and he was going to do a, a hiking trail, very famous hiking trail uh, in uh, Iceland um, as a photography trip backpacking with tents and everything um so i went on that with him uh with a couple of other guys uh and had a great time um and on the very last night he put us in a a great spot where i got a an image which effectively transformed my approach to how i look at photography and um you know potentially earn from it um so that that was that 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 kick-started um uh, everything towards becoming um a semi-professional stroke professional photographer (laughs) so was that where you sort of started to uh you know see your your artistic approach sort of transcend from just you know the, the 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 and i'm not saying you were taking snapshots before then but you know I, I guess, you know, taking a photo that was a fairly good representation of the scene in front of you to something that you considered to be artistic or was that something that was creeping into your photography before then? Um, it was it was starting to it was starting to creep in, or at least I was thinking about it. I tend to think about um, the types of images that I want to create way in advance of actually creating them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I was take, you know, having been involved in that, that social, um, that social circle, uh, and, um, being influenced by others and, you know, in a good way, um, I, I, I started to take an interest in, um, photographers who I'd kind of known about, but never really studied. 
um, yeah. the likes of the likes of um, uh, Joe Cornish, for example, um, is an obvious one. Um, David Ward, I really enjoyed his uh, mm -hmm. approach to um, landscape photography, um, and I start I started to think that I wanted to create um, begin creating images that were uh, you know equal uh, in in their composition um, in their vision um, of, of what those guys were capable of doing and putting out there and had been doing for, for you know 20 30 years um, so that that started to shape how I approached um, taking a photograph um, from just a snapshot, which might have been a pretty snapshot with some, you know, some epic light or whatever. Sure. Um, you know, moving from that sort of grand vista towards a more intimate, um, a, a more intimate approach to landscape uh, yeah, photography. So, are you finding that's what's motivating you, and you know that that's that, that's more what you're chasing now in your photography, that more intimate uh, scene than the, the the grand vista sort of shot, or and how do, how do you see that? I guess in terms of uh, the evolution of where you started to where you are now, for for reasons beyond my control, I've kind of like come full circle, in a way. Um, so for a good three or four years, I I you know I, I literally concentrated on one type of format, which was um, um, a, you know a five four uh, portrait. Um, approach uh, to to photography be you know one lens sat on my camera and and didn't move um, for a couple of years basically um, but that really made me focus on that type of image that I wanted to create um, so you know until it became second nature um, and you know I enjoy I enjoy visiting what you would call honeypot locations um and getting um images that you could you know consider you know honeypot shot type shots vistas but i would try always try and bring something sort of new or unseen to it so i'd always i'd always been looking for something that was a little different to um to the standard fare that you would that you would see from those uh those locations and then you know i it, it gets to a point, I think, if you're a photographer, that 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 you only see in photographs. You know, you can be wherever you. It annoys my wife. It really does. Um, <laughs> but when you know, we'll be out in the car or you know, we're out for a walk or whatever, and I'm just constantly, constantly looking at compositions as I'm walking along. Yep. Um, uh, so you know, just that that whole thought process um, that you go through when you try and create a photograph um, or a composition in a photograph um, basically just takes over your life. I only see in photographs. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Uh, I know the feeling. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, and, and, uh, and it would be, well, it annoys my wife because she'll be like, you know, we're out for a day or whatever and she's wanting me to take a photo of something. And I'm like, well, that's not a good photograph. So I won't take it, but she's just looking for a memory. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just like, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's unbalanced. There are anything in that corner. It's just not going to work. So, you know, she's oh, like, oh, oh, just take a photo. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's um, it, it did um, in that period sort of change my focus away from from those uh, just the the vistas. And then I had a uh, an accident in mid two thousand and nineteen, um, which has meant to date that I've not really been able to get into the landscape um, okay. that I want to shoot. So I've yeah. I've had to to revert back to a, a more distanced approach to. Um, um, photography using a much longer lens um, and that has naturally gravitated back towards some kind of vista but with a you know I think with a more personal touch yeah I guess I was going to ask how, how you would describe your style and you know do well do first, first off do you feel that you have your own style or are you still searching for that and uh, I guess do you how do you see that developing over time and how do you see how it has developed from where you sort of started to, I guess, make that artistic leap from just experiences to, to making art to where you are now? I wouldn't say I've got a, a style that is certainly not a unique style, but um, I think I think people who are aware of my photography if they see a photo that's mine, um, they will almost certainly recognise it as one of mine. Yeah. Um, oh, that must that looks like a Greg shot. You know. Yep. Um, so, so from that point of view, you know, I, I guess there is a style there. It, it comes from um, how I compose in part, um, but it also comes from how I process as well. Um, so it, it does it does lead you down a, a typical um a, a certain style as it were and that does become recognizable how do you feel that's developed from uh where you sort of first started out i mean my, most people start out imitating someone else or they you know um, you, you mentioned a couple of names there before, and I know you're not necessarily trying to replicate that exact shot, but, you know, some of those stylistic elements end up contributing to, to, to your own style. How do, you, how do you feel that's developed over time? Uh, quite considerably, I'd say. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that, the, that there are certain photographers who have really influenced um, influenced my uh, images would i say that i tried to copycat them no definitely not i certainly don't look for copycat compositions um so you know you see I, I, i've got one or two in my portfolio but but you know if you see a photograph um from somewhere you're like oh i've got to get a shot of that you know um and so you travel and and get that exact shot, uh, you know, because somebody famous took it or something. You want it in your own yeah. version. That is not the, the iconic. That, the iconic shots are right. Yeah, and, you know, copying. Yeah, and there are a problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. It's not. It's just something that I don't look to do. Um, I, like I say, I've got one or two um, where I've actually looked at the original shot from somebody particularly famous who, you know, it could be one of their most well-known shots and I'll try and pick it apart and improve it. Um, so that will be my aim. If I go to the, go to that location, it's not to create a coffee cat shot. It's actually to um, improve um, uh, what they saw. 
um, in some way, shape or form. Um, whether I've been successful at that is, is another matter. But, um, you know, I, I, I try to I try to look for errors in photographs that I've taken um, or other people have taken. And, you know, if I'm there to, to take something similar, then I'll try and um, uh, remove those errors effectively. Uh, errors is probably the strong is is probably the wrong word, but um, uh, distractions or, or things which unbalance the image doesn't quite work. Um, then uh, then I'll try and um, improve upon that. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I, I but but yeah, I have I have uh, um, been influenced by uh, by one or two, um, and uh, certainly my photography. Um, um, would would um, evidence that? Yeah. Okay. Um, I noticed that you put a lot of emphasis on the environment in your work, and yeah, there's quite a lot of. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that it, it's hard to hard to sort of describe. I guess, but that that crossover between what some people call nature photography and landscape photography. So where I'm talking about nature is where you're sort of getting into those more intimate uh, pieces, you know, where it might be, you know, uh, the bark on a, on a particular tree, as opposed to a group of trees, you know? <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So, um, in, in terms of that emphasis on the environment, how important is the environment to you and, and expressing that as, as part of your work? I think for anybody at this point in time in the, uh, um, in uh, the human timeline, um, the environment's um, very interesting. So, I, you know, I try, I, I try to consider um, my photography in relation to the environment. Um, and uh, I, I'm not like the, I wouldn't say I'm like the friend um, who, who would get up at 3am and go halfway across the country just to take one photo, you know. So, sure. so I, I tend to, I, I tend to um, do my photography in, in bursts, you know, um, if, you, you know, it'll be a week away somewhere. So there has to be, there has to be a, a the, the hall of images that I need to take away from a trip has to justify the, um, the environmental impact of it as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. Be that, be that, um, the you know fuel used um, to to get there um, mm -hmm. fossil fuels or whatever carbon footprint um, but also my impact on the environment when when I'm there as well um, leave no trace and uh, yeah. uh, and things like that so you know from from that point of view um, then I, I certainly uh, do um, consider the environment I also try to uh, eliminate um, any evidence of um, uh, obvious human um, impact on the environment in my images so um, I, I'm not exclusively but but I you know I mean, and some of my friends don't understand this um, but I you know I don't like buildings uh, really in my images I don't like fences I don't like lamp posts or um, footpaths really um, I, I like it to be, I, I, I like to present the landscape as it would be if humans had never been there. Um, yep, so, um, 
yeah so so sometimes you can't do that so you do have to you know focus down on the smaller details um uh the bark on a tree or or whatever it's just picking out stuff that's 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 interesting and doesn't have that um that um human fingerprint on it yeah got it got it um I'd like to talk a little bit about you. You said uh, you are semi-professional. Uh, does that mean that you've got another job, or does how, how does photography fit into your lifestyle? I guess, and do you revolve your lifestyle around photography, or is it the other way around, and you fit it in when you can? Um, it's it's the other way around at the minute. It's um, it's fit it in when I can. Um, uh, yeah, so so for for uh, quite a few years, I was basically offering workshops um, uh, weekends. Um, so I had a full time job, um, and then the weekends I'd be um, going off to Snowdonia or whatever, um, or I'd take a week off and run a week on workshop or something like that. So that was my using up my holiday. Um, so I'd, you know, turn that as semi professional. I've got a I've got a full time job which pays the bills, and then this is something on the side. Um, and uh, then um, after I. After my accident, I couldn't really run workshops. Um, not the types of workshops that I like to run. I mean, I could have done a workshop in a Tesco car park, but um, it, it wouldn't be me. Um, I know some people do, um, but um, I don't. Uh, so, so I'm not down. The... <laughs> no, no. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I, I basically knocked the workshops on the head, uh, yeah. and I, I've, you know looked at other forms of uh, income so you know I, i've written for written articles for magazines and i've sold yep. sold the odd print here and there you know so so typical typical ways a hobbyist photographer would make uh, would make um money from their photos and then i lost my job at the end of last year so for the last eight months i've been jobless um and that's by actually by design um i decided that i was you know had a decent payout from the job um now was a good time to concentrate on the photography yep. and it started well um i went on quite a few um uh trips to increase my portfolio and uh, i've been doing some um stuff on the digital side of things but um uh I, i've also my wife's also um had had an incident as well so she's had an operation i've been looking after her and i actually haven't taken a photo since february so oh, wow. what are we in now we're in july, uh, july. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm actually taking you know i'm a professional photographer in inverted commas <laughs> but i haven't taken taken a photo for six months yeah. um but that's not unusual for me actually um i i go through occasional periods as, as a lot of people do where um Photography just takes a back seat, and yep. uh, there are other there are other things too. Um, uh, you know, life takes over, as it were. I'd love to be out there taking photographs all the time, but um, wouldn't we uh, all? I, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I, I think a, I think a, a, a break like this, a big break, and I, I've done it when I've been, you know, seriously into um, uh, photography. You know, I've just stopped um, and gone away, and the. I mentioned earlier about I like I think about 
photographs I want to take and how I want to take them. Mm-hmm. And I find this is a good time to do that. Um, uh, I, I'll look over my my portfolio, um, look at ways I can improve the images, and really sort of think about that um, almost constantly. Um, so that when I do eventually pick up the camera again and I go out, I I I haven't lost my eye, as it were, um, an eye for the f- photograph. And when I'm take, going to take that photo, I'm considering all those things that I've been thinking about for months, um, so that uh, so that the image that I come out with is the best that I could do at that particular time. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of, I, I guess, keeping your personal brand awareness going during that you know the last six months have you have you gone about that are you just reaching back into the archive and and posting on social media occasionally or are you doing other things or you're doing nothing which is fine i'm, I'm just interested it's uh, it's <laughs> interesting yeah yeah but you basically just described my last six months going through the archive um finding hidden gems um posting uh posting occasionally i mean i've i've been really heavily into um uh, the digital side of things um and web3 and stuff so so my traditional market as i would call it has kind of ebbed away um and i could see that happening way before I started doing anything with um, with blockchain and, and yep. uh, NFTs and things. Um, so so when that came along, it was like a, it was like a fresh start. Um, but you know I, a lot of the people who supported me in the past still follow me on social media, will still comment on stuff. You just don't see it as much. that traditional that traditional set of people who um, are just in it to um, share and talk about photography and, yeah. and and do the odd workshop and stuff kind of like drifted away yeah. um, and I'm trying to um, adapt going forward um, in this new era as it were yeah. but uh, yeah it's it's definitely changed um, in that time and and partly part of that is down to me um, and part of it is another thing yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So, what's uh, I guess your uh, part of the world like? And you know, for for those that don't know, uh, you living sort of in the middle of Britain, from what I uh, what I glean. Um, you know, do you have a favourite spot nearby, or and how much is where you live right now? influenced how you shoot or are you more about getting out to as you said places like snowdonia and the the peak district and lake district and and getting out and about to those more uh honeypot locations than photographing uh locally around your area yeah um the latter basically so um uh, the landscape around here does not inspire me <laughs> yeah. uh, is the best way i can put it you know i i I grew up as a kid being taken to the mountains um, by my parents. Um, I got into photography through hill walking um, and walking in the mountains and stuff. So, so that environment is what stimulates me and stimulates my creativity. But the environment around me is not in the least bit interesting. 
um, for the to, to um, that's not to say there aren't interesting pockets. Um, so we we moved to our present location um, just under a year ago um, from Solihull, which is Birmingham, um, yep. uh, not very far away from here. But but again, not a great not a great location. Um, uh, but needs must um so i you know just walking the dog i would go to the same woodland and i start to notice trees and things so so my you know i was talking earlier about how my photography has changed i've changed from sort of taking shots of mountains to taking tree woodland photography um and uh quite predominantly in recent years um and and that has just come about from just being forced with the pandemic and everything going on as well being forced to look close to home um and there was some nice there was some nice um woodland where i used to live um so i i was i, I ended up doing a lot of photography there um however since we've moved to uh where we currently live um although there's some nice dog walks they are they are even from a wood, woodland point of view they are not inspiring it's new woodland um you know only it's only been there like 10 years there's no ancient uh, forest or anything like that um oh, and not, any uh, oak trees <laughs> it, exactly and although we're on the edge of the cotswolds um where there are a lot of old woodlands um mm. a lot of them are private private land yeah. um so you can't you can't get onto them you know they're owned by the likes of you know tom cruise and uh, yeah, right. uh, all these people who, who are big estates um so um it, unlike the peak district or the late or, or Snowdonia where you've got um open access land um the cotswolds aren't like that so uh that, that's partly why i haven't taken a photograph um for six months because i've not really been away um or not been able to go away and the landscape around here doesn't really um inspire me mm. um having said that <laughs> um we seem to get absolutely amazing sunsets here <laughs> for some reason um and i keep on missing them i look out the window and i'm like oh that would have been really nice <laughs> if i'd if i just knew where to go um but because i haven't been looking um from a you know photography um a photographic eye point of view i just haven't got a clue where to go around here um yeah. So, uh, so it's best to just go. Oh, it's a nice sunset, um, and forget yeah. about it. <laughs> so, what's your what's your most memorable photography experience, good or bad? Yeah, I, I don't know. I've 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 had a lot. You know, I mean, the 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 trip I mentioned earlier with um, Alex Nail um, culminated in a, um, the most amazing scene, which lasted for all of you know a minute or so um and uh and that's etched out in my memory um there's been um a trip with um uh sled dogs in um in the arctic which you know i got a couple of decent images from but that whole experience um sits in my memory it's photographing um Lofoten or um with, with with a bunch of friends or um uh visiting uh iceland in winter with my wife led to some um nice images so you know there's been lots of sort of uh individual trips here and there individual moments i wouldn't say that there's any which particularly 
stand out from um, from any other. Um, but there's a lot of equal equal memories is the best way I can put it. That's fine. Any horror stories? There's always a horror story, isn't there? There's always something that goes wrong. Um, there's always every single trip, every single trip out. There's always something that goes wrong in some way, shape, or form. Um, the worst one is is where I basically I I had an accident out on the hill um, uh, in 2019, um, which ne- necessitated a a trip to a hospital and an operation and it's one that I haven't quite fully recovered from. Um, it's had a negative impact uh, on um, uh, other aspects of my life. So, um, so that's, that's probably, that's probably the worst one. Um, and I was out that day taking photographs. Um, and, and the worst thing is I didn't even get a decent photograph, um, which, which would have softened the blow, um, yeah. you know, Months later, when I finally uh, downloaded the uh, the SD, you know, had the uh, had the courage to to uh, um, download the SD card, I was I was extremely disappointed with the results. So I was like, oh well, not only did I have a crap day, which ended up in hospital, but also the, the mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, not even a decent photograph to show for it. <laughs> You mentioned that you like to plan your shoots. I guess what what does that entail? And you know, you're sort of conceptualizing the the image well before you get there. Um, so that sounds to me like you you go into the field with a concept of what it is that you're you're looking for. How does getting into the field change that? You know, because you know, best pl- best laid plans and all that sort of thing. You know, I. I, I know I've gone out with uh, the intent of capturing, you know, shot X of scene Y and come back with something that looks more like ABC. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, a lot of the time um, I I don't set out on a trip, uh, you know, so say I'm... Say I'm um, in Snowdonia, for example. Now I know Snowdonia like right the back of my hand um, because I've been going out, been going there for many years, and and I went there as a hill walker. And I've developed skills as a hill walker um, uh, that that I wouldn't necessarily have learned, have developed um, if I'd just been there for photography from the outset. Um, so reading the weather. Um, understanding um, how the mountains affect affect the weather and affect the light and and all of those kinds of things. A lot of the standard stuff that you hear from um, you know dedicated mountain photographers. Um, yeah. So you know if if I don't think that um, the conditions are going to be right for um, an image, I won't bother. Um, I won't bother going up the mountain. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, you know you can read that in weather forecasts and all sorts of stuff. So, nice. so you know, I, I've got a good idea when I set off um, whether the type of image that I'm looking for I'm likely to get. Um, yeah. Now, you know, I can't control the weather and certain things, you know, we can't control where the cloud's going to be and whether the light's going to turn up. So there is a lot of failure in that um, because certain images in my head require light. Uh, the light to be in the right place. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I'll still come away. 
and, and, and I guess this is why a, a lot of my images um, don't have that spectacular light in them. Um, I, you know, that that amazing golden um, side light um, that you get at the end of the day just doesn't appear because there's a cloud back in the way. Um, yeah. So, th so things haven't worked out, but um, that's I'll still I'll, I'll still use what other skills and tricks I've got in in um, my bag. Um, to try and come up with a compelling image, image, even if that light doesn't turn up. And I think that's, you know, ultimately um, a compelling image. It doesn't necessarily rely on light. You hear about, you know, light. Um, certain photographers and well-known photographers talk about nothing but light. Um, but I don't come from that stable and I don't believe in it. Um, I, I, I figure a, a compelling image should be a compelling image whether the light turns up or not um uh just through your composition and um uh, and your approach to the story that you're trying to tell within the photograph um if the light turns up brilliant um but um it rarely does yeah. and uh you know I know when i look at my portfolio i probably i'd say maybe um, ten, less than ten percent have got amazing light, or have got like you know rainbows in them, or anything like that. that a lot of them are very um, benign conditions, actually, um, where I tried to come up with something um, that that is of interest without the spectacular going on. Yeah, fair to enough. To draw the eye away, you know. Yep. So how, how many hours would you spend planning a shoot before you set off? Did you say hours or minutes? Hours, minutes. <laughs> hours. <laughs> it's probably more minutes, to be honest. I don't know. I know some guys who, uh, you know, they will, they will study um, the photographer's ephemeris and, um, and Google Maps and plan a shot to the nth degree, and they'll probably take hours doing so. Yeah. Um, I, I do a little bit of that. Um, my favorite tool is an OS map. Yeah. Um, I look for interesting features on an OS map um, uh, and try to picture in my mind's eye how that will look in a, in a 3D real environment. Um, I don't use any additional tools for that. Um, I might look at the photographer's ephemeris to see where the sun might be on a particular day. Um, in relation to the type of image that I want to get, but that's about as far as it goes. Um, I will also look on Google um, uh, images um, to see whether a particular spot where I intend to take a photo photograph from has um, interesting aspects in the landscape. You know, are there interesting rocks at the top of that mountain, or is it just a grassy top? Um, that kind of thing. Um, so I've got a good, a fair idea of what the landscape is going to be like in which I'm standing. And I've got a good idea from the OS map um, uh, what the what the terrain in the background is going to look like as well. Um, so it's so, so when I say, um, you know, I, I will only go up when I think the conditions are right. I've kind of got an idea of what the what my foreground foregrounds are going to be like. I've got an idea of what my background is going to be like and I've got an idea yep. about what uh, 
what conditions are likely to be overhead um, before I get out of the car and can and I can do that research in the space of about five minutes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So when when you get in the field, what's what's your routine look like there? You're obviously you know going to hike up the mountain or up the hill and get to where you think you want to be, and then what? <laughs> no, normally, uh, normally um, I'm about uh, twenty minutes behind time on where yeah. I want to be, <laughs> so I'm pushed the time. Um, R- running up and. The- uh, <laughs> trying to get the light <laughs> yeah exactly you know and you get there and you realize oh no it's not here i want to be i want to be half a mile over there yeah. um so uh yeah no normally <laughs> normally i'm sweating profusely um not very calm it's all a panic um but what what i tell what i tell people on workshops um when i've run them in the past is when we get to a location and i always allow a lot more time on workshops because yeah. people are always slower than, than than you think they'll be um is when we get to a spot um it's put your back down um you put your tripod down and just sit down have a bite to eat have a drink and then have a little wander around um yeah. and rest and make sure that you're not in a panic yeah. um and pl- look at what um look around you at what looks interesting what stands out um plan plan your shot for when the sun does turn up in half an hour or you know get get uh, um think about where you want to place your camera uh, where you want to place your tripod or whatever um uh, way in advance of when you actually need to do it um rather than just be in a reactive mode um so so that's what i actually try to do um when i'm when i'm out by myself as well and uh you know i'll try and give myself at least 20 minutes half an hour um of just not doing anything just little wandering around and looking at the view um trying to find trying to find interesting foregrounds or whatever um and uh, and then wait for something to happen um or or not as the case may be um or look for look for things to take photos of if the light doesn't turn up if some if what you want to happen doesn't happen you know um nutting out the plan b yeah yeah i mean i've 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 been i've i kind of learned um there was there was one particular memory and we're talking about memories earlier um where uh everything everything went to plan um it was the most awful day of weather it was absolutely ridiculous and i was staying up in scotland with some friends um and i said i'm going out to say i'm I'm gonna go i'm gonna drive four hours from where i am um to go and take a photo from from the top of a hill because i think x is going to happen something is going to happen um i've been looking at the weather stuff and they were like you're mad it's absolutely throwing it down and so um Anyway, I did it, and and sure enough, I got there. I got up the mountain in plenty of time. Um, it was horrific weather, um, and then I had to get out my little bivy bag and sit in sit in this bivy bag for a while until the weather began to clear. And um, and then I had this amazing landscape, and I was just listening to um, some tunes. I was there about two hours before what was going to happen happened. Um, and what I wasn't doing was I wasn't planning my shots 
for when the light turned up. Um, I was enjoying myself um, and I had plenty of time, um, but when the light eventually did turn up, it was so, um, so spectacular. I've never had light like it since that I was running around like a headless chicken for about five minutes um, and didn't, I didn't come up with anything that was particularly compelling. Um, I got some nice images, but they weren't good images yeah. um, in that sense of the word. Um, and only in retrospect did I learn that what I should have been doing was planning all of my shots so that when the light did turn up, I knew exactly what I was doing and I would have been on autopilot to yeah, the right. images that I want. Um, and yeah, that happened, that happened like nine, 10 years ago. So, so my approach since then has, has um, always been to try and get to a location early uh, and plan exactly what I want to take and when I want to take it, um, yeah. should, should conditions arise. Yeah, okay. So you've got your, your shots in the bag and uh, you've, you've got home are you sticking them on the uh screen immediately and madly going through trying to find the bangers or are you leaving them on the card for you know a week or two and letting them gestate while you think about something else and then you come back to them i i don't understand that anybody who just doesn't process their own begin to process their images within a nanosecond of taking them um i'm i'm normally too excited there's normally one one or two that i'm no, really excited not. about yeah yeah um and i really want to process those those two don't end up being my favorites typically because mm-hmm. there'll be others that um that i will look I'll come back, you know, I'll do a batch process. Well, not a batch process, but I'll process a batch of them at once. Sure. Um, um, and come away and think, oh, I've, I've got some bangers there. And then you let it stew for a little while. And uh, um, and two or three weeks later, you'll be just bored with nothing else to do. So you'll go and have a look at the rest of the, the raw files and go, oh, actually, that one, that that one looks nicer. Out. <laughs> That's the one that stands out. And you'll process it, and you'll take more time over the processing, and um, um, be a bit more sympathetic or whatever. Um, and and that and it's actually those ones that that stand the test of time, rather than those those um, earlier uh, those earlier ones. But uh, but yeah, I definitely I I process straight away. Um, I, I use a I've started using a, an iPad Pro uh, okay. rather than mobile. Um, so I will literally, I'll go away, like if on a week long trip, you know, I might take, I don't know, 1500 raw images and I'll mm-hmm. download all those to the iPad every night, um, and process it the hell out of everything. Um, and think I've got a really great set and then I'll come home and do it on the, the Mac, um, and do it properly. Um, and not bother processing half of them because actually in that in that intervening time i've decided actually i don't really like that image so I've just, i'm just not yeah, yeah. processing it properly um but everything else then gets reprocessed um and eventually come out with uh, um a small portfolio of images from that particular trip but many weeks down the line sure sure so on a on a portfolio image for example your average portfolio image how, how long would you spend in processing really depends um 
anything from between about 30 seconds to uh, an hour. Okay. Um, I'd say um, heavily leaning towards the shorter time frame. Okay. Um, most, I, I'd say, I'd say 90% of my portfolio, I haven't spent more than three or four minutes processing. Wow. Um, yeah. I, and, and you'd be surprised at how similar the process is. Mm. Uh, I should just do a preset and I could just apply the preset and then it'll be done. <laughs> the only thing I'd have to do is clear up the dust spots maybe. Um, yeah. It, 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 all, all very, very similar. Um, uh, I don't really do, I, I don't, I'm not the type of person who will, who will export into Photoshop and then minutely tweak individual elements and, and um, okay. um, be particularly, uh, what's the word, um, targeted. Tar I wouldn't say I target um, elements within a photograph for individual processing. Um, yeah. So... I, I tend to go for a lot of more of a, um, a global processing approach as opposed to oh. brushes and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Um, I, you know, I'll do a little bit of dodging and burning, but I'm not accurate with it. You know, I, I, I actually really thrive on it inaccurately um, when it comes to processing. Yeah. Um, I feel, I feel if you're too accurate and too, too, focused on individual elements then it begins to look unnatural um, interesting yeah uh, to, uh, to, without without showing you an example of how i process yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's really hard to articulate that um but i i love the inaccuracy of of lightroom um for that very reason because it, it you end up with i think a more organic looking um, final edited image than, than you do with with um, more uh, focused tools like Photoshop. Hmm. Okay, fascinating. Do you do much printing in your work? Not as much as I should, maybe. Um, I do print. Um, I've got a fairly decent printer. Um, I've printed for maybe four or five years, um, but I will go months without turning that print on. Um, really? But I, you know, I so do, you're printing, I do printing believe... yourself, you're not using a service then. No, no, I've only ever used a service, a service once, and they did a great job. It was, but it was for a specific, um, a, a specific requirement that I couldn't fulfill myself. Um, uh, but so, so yeah, I do like I, I print myself. Um, and I, I'm, I'm one of these people who doesn't think a photo is finished until it's printed, yeah. Um, um, which basically means that, that most of my portfolio is unfinished because <laughs> <laughs> it's really expensive to print. Um, and I don't, I don't like, I don't like wasting ink. Um, no, yes. so, uh, so, so what I prefer to do is let the, let the ink rest there for six months. Um, and then for it to pur have to purge itself and therefore use probably twice as much. Um, and therefore, <laughs> Wasting. 
Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I, I guess in terms of that that process, what are you? I mean, when when you when you're into it, you, your ink's been purged, and you you're actually using <laughs> ink for what it's what it's designed for. Um, are you trying to uh, control sort of how that ends up looking? Is that why you're doing that yourself, or is it is it more just a you know? A, 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 I guess a, a a branch of what you do and part of the creative process for you. I, I think yeah, it's, it's controlling it, controlling the, the the final output um, is really important. So that you know, if I send my if I send my file to um, printer A, um, I send the same file to printer B. And using the right parameters, the correct parameters, and the um, the same or very similar papers, you would expect the same results. Um, but that's not always the case. No. Yeah, yeah, it's not always the case. And um, you know, it costs a lot of money to send uh, to send files to other people to print. Yeah. Um, and then you've got to wait a long time for it to turn up, and then it turns up, and it's a bit too dark. Um, uh, because I've made a mistake in the file or something. Yeah. Um, so uh, so I, I, I prefer to have that ultimate control so that when it does come off the printer, um, it's how I, I understand how my printer prints. I understand yeah. um, how my computer um, communicates with the printer. Um, and uh, I've got a good idea, a very good idea of what it'll look like on the, on the type of paper that I'm using. Mm -hmm. um before i can before i commit to it um and uh and nine times out of ten it's completely wrong um but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no and uh, nine times out of ten it's it's it comes out okay um it's it's where i want it to be um so uh so yeah i, I prefer to have that control okay so are you um i, I guess it, it, how much into the color management are you getting uh, with with your printing, or are you kind of leaving that up to the the uh, print drivers and on either the computer or the printer to to, to manage that? Yeah, I, I've got profiles for individual papers. I yep. color manage my monitor, but you know, I I found that actually, if you leave it up to the printer um to figure it out itself 99 percent of the time it does a really good job and uh and something around with it actually screws it up <laughs> yeah it really does it really does it can really affect it um and uh and so a lot of the time I, i'll i'll not you bother using those um those profiles yeah. um it depends on the image uh it depends on how dark an image is yeah, and yeah. how much black is in it um as to whether I'll use the profile or whether I'll just let the print, uh, uh, you know, I'll do a test print on a small piece of paper yes. um, and see what the what the, the printer makes of it. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of the time the printer does a good job. Whether it's hundred percent accurate is a completely different matter. And I know and I know people who, or there are people out there who um, really go into the science. Yeah, um, that's what I was interested in. You, yeah. Of, of the color management and making sure that the brown in the in the leaves is exactly as it is on the screen. Um, I'm like, oh, life's too short. Um, I'm not. 
I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not selling prints in volume um, or for such inflated prices that I feel, or in, you know, um, really exclusive galleries that I feel that that level of accuracy um, is time well spent. Yeah. Um, uh, if if the final image that comes off the printer is, you know, within five percent, five ten percent of what it is on the screen, I'm generally happy. Um, it should look very similar with those percentages. Um, it may not be totally accurate, but like I said, there are other things to do in do in this world than yeah, spend all my time. Like, I get it. <laughs> working on that. <laughs> What, what's your what's your favorite paper at the moment um favorite paper and the paper i prefer to print on are two different things okay i i, I would say my favorite paper is uh, let me just get it right uh, well I, I use photo speed papers um yep. photo speed are, are, are really big in the uk um and i really like the smooth cotton 300 mm -hmm. um which is a matte paper yep. um uh, I don't print on it very often though, um, because I actually prefer printing on a burrito, um, purely because I, I it, it is easier to print on it, you know, um, the colors are punchy, um, more often than not, I can, I can just send it to the printer and it'll print off almost perfectly straight away. So where, where time, um, and interest uh, are, are paramount. Um, I would just knock it out on a burrito. So, and you know, if I was sending a free print, if I was doing a print swap with somebody, or yep. um, I had a small print sale, I will probably do it on a burrito because it's going to look good. Um, it's a good heavy paper, and uh, if it's a high value, I'll probably look to do it on a smooth cotton. Yep. Do, it on, do it on a matte paper. Have you ever hit a creative wall? And if so, how did you handle it? Uh, yeah, I would say that the transition uh, that I talked about earlier between taking Vista Grand Landscapes um, without too much thought in composition to transferring to a more considered approach, um, I was a little, I was lost in that period in between for quite a long time mm -hmm. um, because my more intimate landscapes i'll call them intimate landscapes but i'm talking about you know strong big rock in the foreground kind of thing with a nice background i i i was struggling how to do that um for quite a long time um although i was thinking about it um and because it took a while to transition i think i i lost faith in my ability to do it yeah. uh, to achieve that um and and i knew at the same time that i just didn't i didn't want to take the same sorts of the same photos joe corner should have taken or, sure, or sure. somebody else um so uh you know i i think i at some point in that journey i probably had six months where I, again i didn't take a photograph um i think it was coming back from um, Iceland as well from that trip with Alex um, I didn't take a photograph for that was in July I didn't take another photograph until I think December 
that yep. year. Um, and that was around that time when I was trying to, I was thinking about um, transitioning photography. Um, and uh, yeah, I just didn't, nothing, I couldn't connect with the medium um, while I was going through this, this thought process. I've done this several times though, had these big blocks of time off um, where, as I mentioned earlier, I'm thinking about it. And um, each time I think I've taken a step forward, but it has taken time for me to get there. Yeah. Um, and during that time, it's effectively a creative block. You know, I don't want to go out and take photographs. Um, I've got no interest in taking photographs during those periods of time. Um, if I went out and took a photograph, I don't even think I could be creative in my approach to the compositions. Yeah. Um, uh, I need time for it to to connect in my brain before I can then be creative again. Okay, got it. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing photographers right now? There's lots. <laughs> There's lots. Uh, environmental impact um, yep. is one with uh, a growing unease of taking um, large carbon footprint trips um, just to take photographs. Um, there's uh, the Instagram generation. Everybody's a photographer. Mm -hmm. um, how do you set yourself apart? How yep. do you um, maintain a uniqueness in um, in one way um, in this growing world of imagery? Um, the uh, challenge um, to the art world in terms of uh, moving from a more conventional, um, um, a more conventional way of um, how do I put it? Uh, earning money through art and yep. you know um, prints and um, exhibitions and all that kind of stuff and this whole new world of um, digital online. Um, so, you know, NFTs are, are shaking up the art world in different ways. Um, yep. Some people think they're a waste of time. Some people think they're the future. Um, two different camps, two different mindsets. Mm. And I think specifically um, the, you know, we've had 40 odd years of using tools which were essentially the same in terms of how they work, you know, tactilely with knobs and, and all that kind of stuff using um, SLRs. And then this moves us towards mirrorless cameras as well. Yeah. Um, uh, but now, you know, you're getting, you're getting devices which have got multiple lenses in them. They've got, you know, uh, instant processing and artificial intelligent processing, um, which is all pretty shoddy at the minute. But, you know, um, in time, you, you know, is there a point to lugging around um, two, three kilograms of equipment um, if I can get pretty much the same result off my phone? Um, yeah. But the whole experience of taking a photograph on a phone is completely different to um, the more considered approach that you're forced to take with um, with um, more dedicated equipment. Um, and as those phones take um, uh, become um, more and more powerful, uh, you're going to see more and more people use them in an everyday setting. There's going to be less need for the more specialised um, equipment. 
And although there will always be somebody willing to make that stuff, I think it's going to become harder and harder and more exclusive um, for people to get hold of uh, yeah. in time. So, uh, you know, it, if, if Canon can't sell um, enough cameras, they're going to stop making them. Um, if Nick can't, yeah. Um, and, and so, 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 yeah, I think that's, that's a. Yeah, I mean, it, it already it happened a while back with uh, Minolta and uh, they, they moved yep. into uh, making photocopier parts and various other bits and pieces, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, is, is, is the new generation of photographers kind of coming through? Are they really going to be that interested in all this or in all these interchangeable length time cameras and things? Yeah, that, that's um, it. You, and, see, you see those uh, guys out there with the, uh, the vintage um, film cameras, you know, and developing them in various soups as well as, uh, you know, the, the more traditional chemicals. It's, uh, it, I mean, it's interesting to see. I think... Uh, you know, from my perspective, the, the photography uh, creativity won't stop. Um, no. It's more around do the films change, and I can certainly see that, you know, the writings on the wall now with Nikon, uh, you know, saying they're no longer making DSLRs. So, you know, it won't be too long before everything's mirrorless and therefore that's the only thing on the market and therefore, you know, other than secondhand, um, you know, that, that then becomes for me a lot closer to, you know, that more ubiquitous phone device anyway. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's hard to see how, as you say, you know, with the software that is going into, into the phones and the ability for them to talk to the cloud and use software on servers, and bring you back an image that's been, you know, artificially intelligence uh, altered, or you know, even you know, partly generated. You uh, you end up with um, a very different photography landscape, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's there's, there's all sorts of things that are happening which are going to prove challenging for the traditional world of um, photography. Um, in terms of um, tech advances, so you know, um, you're getting um, just just one other thing that actually just I do have an interest in as well. But you know, like metaverses, and, you know, uh, stuff that you may have seen in um, Ready Player One, the film a few years ago. Um, but uh, you know, you're seeing game worlds being created that are almost photorealistic now. Um, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that that um, these these um, environments will be photorealistic within five or ten years, and, and then you're like you're you're then into an area of questioning whether photography a, a photograph was taken in the real world or whether whether it was um, in a computer generated. Yeah. How do you how do you differentiate the two um, when uh, when they're both, you know, photorealistic, as it were, it's going to be increasingly hard. Yeah. Um, so you'll you'll eventually have photos created that are completely artificial, and you won't be able to tell the difference. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm well aware of that. I I spent some time yeah. uh, 
developing my Photoshop skills, actually doing screenshot art. So gaming screenshots and then turning them oh, yeah. mostly into replicas of photographs so, so that you, mm -hmm. you know, in an attempt so that you couldn't quite tell, is that a photo or is that a computer? Yeah, camera? yeah, well, yeah, and I think that's going to become more and more common. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, was, it was a lot harder. I mean, you know, you're talking about um, me getting down to a pixel level, fixing jaggies on the edges of uh, of image, you know, of an object, you know, <laughs> which is not something that I too much time. Oh, well, I did at the time. I did have too much time in my hands, or or I liked wasting it in a certain way. Anyway, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Look, looking back, I guess uh, to you know, ten year old Greg, what advice would you give him with his Kodak Instamatic? Forget the photography and get a proper career. <laughs> <laughs> Follow your dreams, become an astronaut. I think uh, that's actually a really hard question. I'm kind of like one of these people who I'm still deciding what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. Yep. And I'm 45. Um, why am I 46? Can't remember. Anyway, one of the two. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think if it has to be sort of um, photographic advice, I, 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 and I was seeing little 10-year-old group again, I'd, I'd say um, uh, take a little bit more interest in the, um, the history of photography mm -hmm. um, from that point on um, and get into the nuts and bolts of, of creating photographs, not just taking snaps. Um, sure. Uh, and I'd probably advise him to take more of an interest as well in the likes of portraiture and uh, uh, and, uh, and other types of photography, not just landscape, because um, uh, you're going to really struggle to make a living just in landscape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, product photography, get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Start, yeah, well, if I'd, if I'd spoken a 10-year-old Greg, he would, that would have been, what, 1986. Um I'd, I'd be telling them to get into stock now because um, uh, you can uh, yeah because you can make a good living from it for the next 15 years <laughs> that's it uh, all right um i've really only got one more question for you and it's uh for some people the most important question that i ask on the podcast do you like pineapple on pizza <laughs> do i like pineapple on pizza Oh my God, um, this uh, this is a divorceable question um, <laughs> in our house. Um, my wife likes pineapple on pizza, um, but it's a goddamn fruit, and fruit does not belong on a pizza, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so no, firmly no. <laughs> Very good. Well, it's a, another one for the nose. Uh, so far, it's been fairly even uh, throughout the podcast. How is it? I think this is uh, people who like episode fifty-four. So uh, okay, yeah, it's it's, it's probably oh, yeah. one for one. It's it's just weird. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me, Greg. It's been really great to get to know you. Um, and you know learn a lot more about how you do what you do uh where can people find your work 
Uh, they can find my work at oh, my my website seriously needs updating, but they can find it at www.gregwitten.com. Um, you could also follow me on Twitter at uh, gwitten uh, photo. Um, and uh, yeah, that's actually the most the, the, the two areas where I, I'm, I'm most active. Um, so if anybody wants to um, have a chat, just find me at DM on Twitter or something like that. Quite happy to answer questions or just uh, chat about all things photography. All right, brilliant. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon.